is 10 and 11. First Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. In the midst of the context, Peter is giving a number of admonitions to the church. And then he continues on in verse 10. As each has received the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we do thank You for Your Word is living and active, powerful. It brings about life. It brings about joy. It brings about sanctification. It brings about wisdom. And Father, we could go on and on. Thank You for Your Word. And Father, I want to pray that I would proclaim Your Word, even as this text says, as one speaking the very oracles of God. And may I also do so in the strength that You provide, so that in all things Jesus Christ will be glorified. And we pray this for His honor and for our joy. Amen. May be seated. We're continuing on in a series called Esteem the Church. I think this is our fifth message, and we'll finish up next week with our last message on uh, the Great Commission. Before embarking on this series, I got out the whiteboard and a marker, and I asked the elders, what issues do you think we need to address as we talk about the church? And uh, we wrote down a number of things, maybe about a list of ten. And actually, I did the same thing with the men's study. We got together, and I said, men, what... What do you think are the issues that we should address in the church? And I wrote those down and I said, here's what the elders think are the issues. And just for fun, we kind of compared notes. Um, One of the things that came up right away was the issue of serving and the importance of using your spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. So I I knew even before this series began that um, we would get to this area of serving. Um, we could have looked at a number of different passages as we consider serving. First uh, Corinthians 12 would have been a great passage, and we did look at that one uh, earlier. We could have looked at Philippians 2 that talks about Jesus Christ taking on flesh and blood so that he could be a servant, literally a slave. We could have looked at Mark 10 where the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest And Jesus said, if you want to be great, be a servant. Uh, But instead, I chose this passage from Peter, and I chose it for this reason. Um, As I was looking at different passages, uh, the subtitle of this chapter caught my attention. In my Bible, it says for chapter 4, Stewards of God's Grace. Stewards of God's Grace. And I looked at that subheading, and it comes right out of verse 10. And I was absolutely floored. I thought, this is remarkable. Now, I want you to think through this with me, what what God is saying when He calls us to be stewards 
of His grace. First of all, let me explain what a steward is. Do you kids know what a steward is? Not stewardess. What a steward is. Um, A steward, very simply, is a person who looks after the money, property, or possessions of the owner. So, for example, last summer... Um, a family that we knew, their daughter was getting married and all kinds of people were coming in from out of town and they needed more room in the house. So they asked if we would babysit their dog. And Michelle asked me if that was okay. And I said, I, I guess we could tolerate the mutt for the weekend. That'd be okay. Um, you can tell that I'm a real animal lover. Was it two dogs? Two dogs. See, see how gracious I am. <laughs> uh, the kids, of course, were all excited about this because we don't have a dog. And they were like, yeah, this is great. This is wonderful. So we took care of their dog. Uh, we fed the dog what they told us to feed it. And we gave it water to drink like they told us and a little blanket. And we took care of their dog like they wanted us to. And we tried to be very careful because we were not the owner. We were just stewards. That's the key here. A steward is not an owner. A steward takes care, again, the money, possession, or property of the owner. Now, technically speaking, as Christians, we own nothing. Nada. Zero. Who is the ultimate owner of all things? Tell me. God is the owner of all things. That's right. We are just stewards. So the house that we have is from God. Even the children we have do not belong to us. They are God's children. The money that we have is technically not ours. It's God's money. We are just to be good stewards of His finances that He has entrusted to us. And this is very important. And if we could get this perspective, it would help us with a lot of difficulties that we face. For example, on one occasion, a a gentleman came rushing up to to John Wesley, and he said, he said, John, John, your, your house is on fire and it's burning to the ground. John Wesley thought for a moment and then he said, if the Lord wants to burn down his house, that's his business. That's a great answer. John Wesley understood the sovereignty of God and the stewardship of man. The Lord burned down his house. So he could be at peace. Even our children are technically not ours. They are the Lord's. And we are to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Our money, talked about this last week, is not ours. We are to be stewards of the money that God has entrusted into our care. Randy Alcorn, who's the head of a financial ministry, uses this illustration to help us with the tithe. He says, we're kind of like the FedEx guy. Um, let's say you have some valuable possessions and you put them in a box and, and you want to send them to your daughter across the country. So you put them together, you put them in the box, and you might call the FedEx company. And the FedEx guy will come to your house and you say, here's my package. And he takes it and you say, thank you very much. And let's say two weeks later, you call your daughter and you say, did you get the package that I sent to you? And she says, no, Mom, I, I, I didn't get the package. And you say, oh, should have been there a week and a half ago. So you call the FedEx company and you explain the situation to them. 
and they say, you know what? We had great difficulty with one of our employees. And it turns out whenever he got a package, he would open it up. And if he liked the content, he wouldn't pass that on. He would keep them for himself. But don't worry, we fired that rascal. Randy Elkhorn said, we're basically the FedEx guy. God has entrusted certain things to our care. And you can see how this works with the tithe. He says, this is your money. And I want you to make sure the first 10% goes to the church. Make sure that it gets to its destination. And if it doesn't get to its destination, that means there's a problem. If we're using that 10% for our own uses because we like it, there's a problem. And as we said last week, we're robbing God. But we need to realize we're not owners, we're stewards, and we need to use all our resources as God wants us to. Now, the point of this text is not specifically that we're stewards of God's money. The point of this passage is that we are stewards of something infinitely more precious, namely God's grace. You see how astounding that is? God has entrusted His grace to His church. What does God's grace do? Well, God's grace, God's grace brings contentment in the midst of suffering and affliction. Uh, God's grace brings strength as we go through hard times. God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly desires. And most notably, God's grace brings salvation. And think about this. God has entrusted His grace to us to be wise stewards of it. Do you see why I was astounded by this? This is an amazing thing. We are nothing less than the stewards of God's grace. We have an incredible privilege and we have an incredible responsibility. Now, the question Peter answers for us this morning is, how are we to be good stewards of God's grace? And he answers that question by helping us to recognize three things. Number one, recognize that each of you has a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts. Every single Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Uh, the Greek word for gift is charisma or charisma. And there's even a magazine by that name. Anybody want to guess what English word we get from that? Charisma and? Charismatic. In a sense, okay, in a sense, every single Christian is a charismatic. I'm not going to get into all the issues with the charismatic movements. But we are charismatics in the sense that all Christians, not, not just a few, but all Christians have a supernatural endowment from God that is to be used for the work of ministry. It's not just a natural ability. We could call that common grace. Even unbelievers had natural abilities. 
And sometimes they're impressive, whether they're in athletics or music or science or medicine or, or engineering or art or, or what have you. But Christians not only have natural abilities and talents, which are the results of common grace, but we have a supernatural gift as well, which is given the moment we become Christians. And I want to ask you, do you know what your spiritual gift is or what your spiritual gifts are? If I were to ask you after the service, what, what's your spiritual gift? Would you be able to tell me? Let me just list a few for you to help you with this. And there's various lists in the Scriptures. Teaching, serving or helps, exhortation, giving, mercy, hospitality, evangelism, leadership, encouragement, administration, wisdom, knowledge, discernment, and, and we could go on and on. Uh, the lists are not meant to be exhaustive. They're just meant to be representative and helpful as we think through how God has gifted us so that we can discern how God has gifted us and play to our strengths, as it were. Now, in this context, look at verse 10. As each has received a gift, that's a spiritual gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God's grace in this passage specifically means spiritual gift. That's what it means. To be a steward of God's grace in this passage means to be a wise steward of the spiritual gift that He has given to you. Now, I want to I press this even further, and this gets a little technical, but please stick with me. This spiritual gift, we could ask, what, what is it exactly? Is it something that's added to our DNA? Is it something that's added to our brain to help us perform? What exactly is the gift when, when God hands us the gift? When he says, when he says to, to me, Wayne, here's the gift of teaching. What, what is it? When he says to someone else, here's the gift of helps. What, what exactly is he giving to us? What, what is he handing to us? And I want to say that what he's handing to us is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And let me show you two verses where these come together. Romans 12, 6. I'm not going to go through this, but Romans 12, this is one of the passages that talks about spiritual gifts. And in verse 6, or excuse me, uh, yeah, verse 6, it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So here it says that we have gifts according to grace. So here it's describing gifts as the grace of God. Now turn ahead to 1 Corinthians 12. And again, the context is spiritual gifts. And let me read 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirits, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given, and notice this, the manifestation of the Spirit 
for the common good. And then he goes on and says, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And then he talks about these gifts. According to verse 7, spiritual gifts are nothing less than the manifestation of the Spirit of God. That's what your spirit, that's what your gift is. It is the Spirit of God manifesting Himself in your life. And the Spirit just does that in different ways. And by the way, the Spirit does that intentionally so that we need one another. Individuals in the body of Christ need one another. Families in the body of Christ need other families. We need the gifts of one another to be complete, if you will. God has created us to be dependent in this sense, dependent on one another, and to bring all our gifts together. Now, I think this is fascinating. God's grace is given to us through the Holy Spirit. Now, just, just for fun, if you will, turn ahead to 2 Corinthians 1-2. And just a couple of weeks, something was pointed out to me, and I, I never saw this before. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 1-2, we have what's a typical greeting in most of the epistles. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I was listening to Doug Wilson speaking at a message at a Piper's Pastors Conference. And he said, have you ever read through the greetings from Paul and wondered, where is the Holy Spirit? And it caught my attention because I thought, yeah, I actually have wondered that. Because it says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is there no mention of the Holy Spirit? And it grabbed my attention because I have thought that. You would think that every member of the Trinity would be mentioned. And he said the Holy Spirit is in the greeting. And he said Jonathan Edwards agrees with this translation as well. Where is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the grace and the peace that comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, grace isn't just something abstract from God. Peace isn't just an abstract gift from God. I find this fascinating because the grace and the peace that God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give to us come in the form of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is the grace that we have. God's Spirit is the peace that we have. And this makes sense. In Philippians 4, 6, many of you are familiar with it. Not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God will be with you. And then if you drop down to verse 9, Paul goes on and he says, and the God of peace will be with you. So in verse 7, he says, the peace of God will be with you. And then in verse 9, he says, the God of peace will be with you. What's the difference? There is no difference. When we need peace in our life, God gives it to us, and He gives it to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm emphasizing this so that we realize that we never use our spiritual gifts independent of Him. In fact, our very gifts are a manifestation of God's Spirit in our lives. And this should keep us very humble because it's God. It's God from beginning to end. What do you have that you have not received? Everything that we have 
comes from God. So we need to recognize, first of all, that we have a spiritual gift or gifts. That's the manifestation of the Spirit. Secondly, you need to recognize that your spiritual gift must be employed. Very simply, kids, you must use your spiritual gifts. That's why God gave it to you. Verse 10. Very simple. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So when God gives you a gift, like a spiritual gift, you don't say, wow, this is really nice. And you don't put it up on the shelf in the closet and leave it there. It is to be used. And it is to be used to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ so that the body of Christ as a whole can be built up. That's why God has given you a spiritual gift so that the church can grow and flourish and spread the kingdom of God. That's why you have a spiritual gift. That's why if you're going to be a faithful Christian, you have to come to church. Not just to worship God and and to fellowship, but to use the spiritual gift that God has given you. Now, this word serve here is also an interesting word. In Greek, it's dia kanoi. We get the English word deacon or diaconate. And deacon just means a servant. We have elders and we have deacons in this church, which also means if we put this together, every single Christian is a charismatic deacon. You have a supernatural endowment of God so that you can serve. You might not have the title of deacon, but you are called to serve in the body of Christ. So then the obvious question is, how shall we serve? Let me me give you a basic answer and then I'll give you a more specific answer. How shall you serve? In any way you can. In any way you can. If an opportunity comes up, and you're available, serve. You don't have to say, wow, I don't know if that fits my spiritual gift. Serve. Sometimes I'm a little leery of spiritual gifts because sometimes they can be used as an excuse. Imagine if we had a cleaning day here at the church and someone was cleaning the bathrooms and, and I walked by and they said, you know, Pastor Wayne, could you, could you help me with the bathroom and get it cleaned up? And imagine I said, I have the gift of teaching, brother. <laughs> Wow, you arrogant. (laughs) Have the gift of teaching. I I can get in there and scrub the toilets. Right? Sometimes we use this as an excuse. Some of you might be saying, I don't know what my spiritual gift. You asked me earlier, what's what's my spiritual gift? I don't know. That's okay. To one extent, just serve. If an opportunity opens up, jump in there. I didn't know I had the gift of teaching until years after I became a Christian because it hadn't developed. But just look for opportunities to serve. But here I want to get a little more specific. It is helpful to know your spiritual gift because your spiritual gift indicates in part God's call and purpose for your life. I'll give you an obvious example. My whole life, my whole call has been transformed because of the spiritual gifts God has given me. And I think that's obvious. Let me, let me give you another example that might not be so obvious. Will King. Will King right there. You all saw him this morning most likely because he stands right in front of the door like he does every Sunday, handing you a bulletin, welcoming you, hugging you with a smile on his face. Will King, I don't know how you want it. Will King has the gift of serving or helps or greeting. I really don't 
care specifically what, what you call it, but he, he has a gift. And every single Sunday, I, I get here early and, and I get ready. And Will King, this morning I saw it. He walked in, I looked at the clock. This morning he got here at 8.07. Sunday school does not begin till 9.30. But he's here, he's getting coffee ready. Because you know what he's going to do? He's going to greet you. And God has placed a call on his life. He shows up, and, and I tell you, I can never remember. And it, it's been over a decade now. I can re- never remember a Sunday when he showed up and he was grumpy. <laughs> and, and I mean it. It's because of the call and purpose of God on his life. And he serves. And, and you say, well, well he, he just hands me a bulletin and shakes my hand. How hard can that be? Well, from one point of view, it's not hard. But from another perspective, if it's the Holy Spirit working in him supernaturally, as he does something as simple as handing you a bulletin and saying hello and giving you a hug, it's powerful. So before you even walk in the sanctuary, you can experience the presence and power of God. And and I don't know why, but just this last Wednesday at the elders meeting, Brian was thanking Will and how he greets. And I don't know why it hit Brian. Maybe because Brian, every week, is standing right there alongside Will, <laughs> greeting people. And, and I can tell you, and I've been here 14 years now, we have many newcomers' coffee. And again and again, I hear people say, when I first came to this church, Brian Evans made me feel so welcome. What, what is that? That is the Spirit of God. That's not just a friendly, extravit person. That's the Spirit of God working mightily so that the simplest of acts are transformed and have an impact on the body of Christ. All, all these simple things matter. Stepping up and and driving the bus, and cleaning the church, and, and bringing refreshments, making, making phone calls. All these things matter. They're very important. And we need to use our spiritual gifts, because there's a lot of ministry to be done. One of the things that I heard in my last class that has stuck with me is, is one of the teachers, and they, they were both pastors, they said, be careful about putting too much work on the elders. They have jobs and they can only do so much. Pastors need to place more responsibility on the congregation at large. And that, and that has stuck with me. And, that, and that's so true. And, and I also want to say this. Um, I, I owe some of you here an apology. And, and even some of you, some who have left the church, because I don't think I realized how crucial this was. Because in the past, we've, we've canceled some, some ministries and, and I've just said, well, you need to move on to something else. What I didn't realize was when I canceled their ministry, even if it needed to be canceled or even if it died out, what I didn't realize was God's call and God's purpose for their life was, was being questioned. So their whole spiritual world was being rocked. And, and I wasn't sensitive enough to that. 
I didn't realize that they were serving God. And they, just like Will, they were showing up and they were saying, I want to serve God. And, 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 and some of them, because they were gracious, they didn't say, Pastor, you took it away. How can you do that to me? And, and I'm sorry for that. I, and I apologize on behalf of the elders as well. We're, we're blunders and we're, we're trying to move forward too. Uh, but this is important. And I, I'm just going to say we can't go back. But from this point, we're going to be sensitive to that and what God's calling you to do and, and how you want to serve. And as best we can, we're going to guide you. So if you're, if you're sitting there and you say, I got an idea for ministry, you come to your shepherding elder or you come to myself or one of the other elders. And we want to do the best we can to, to set you free to serve, to empower you, to make an announcement, get the word out, whatever we can do. Because this, this is important. This, this is what God is calling you to do. In Matthew 25, Jesus says different talents have been given to people. In the parable of the talents, some have been given five talents. Some have been given two talents. Some just one talent. But in the parable, Jesus Christ returns and He says, What did you do with the talents that I entrusted to you? And to the one who had five talents, he said, Here, Lord, I had five talents. I've invested and I have ten talents. And Jesus said, Well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had two used it. Now I had four. And Jesus said the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servants. And then he went to the, the one servant who had one. And, and, and the servant said, Well, I, I know you're a hard man and, and a tough man. So I, I buried it in the ground. Here it is. And... Jesus said, you, you didn't use it. You, you didn't invest it, you wicked servant. And he cast them out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because he didn't use the talents that were given to him. This, this is a tremendous trust, a t- tremendous stewardship. So we need to recognize what our gifts are. And we need to employ our gifts. And third... We need to recognize how our spiritual gifts are to function. And Peter gives two answers here. They are to function in dependence on God's Word and God's Spirit. God's Word and God's Spirit. Look at verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. That, that hits me as a, as a pastor. God is basically saying, Wayne, every single Sunday you stand up and you get behind that pulpit, I want you to speak my oracles. My oracles. Not your opinions, not your desires. My oracles. In other words, real simply, kids, my word. My people are gathered together on a Sunday so they can hear a word from me. Make sure they hear a word from me. And let me tell you, this is why we are committed to expository preaching. Expository preaching. You say, what is that? God has exposited His Word in here and we are to bring it out. That's what we're doing. And that's why, even on a series on the church, it's more topical, week after week we look at a passage. And my points are coming out of the text. Right out of the text. We don't read a passage. We don't say, okay, I'd like to read Peter 4, 10, 11, and that use it as a launching passage and that never come back again. No, this is our text. We're to be right here. We're going through it. And this is very important. 
There are many different ways to preach, but I am convinced that this is the best way. I'm not saying that God doesn't use other preaching. He can and he does. But I am saying, as a matter of conviction, expository preaching is the best kind of preaching. And you say, well, why is that? Well, first of all, because it's my responsibility to communicate God's word to you. Vody Bauckham says, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. <laughs> and I like that. It's as though every single week the mail comes in from heaven. And I stand up and I say, guess what? Another letter came from God. I'm going to read what God wrote to us this week. And after I read it, I know some of you are going to have some questions. So after I read it, I'm going to explain to you what it means. And then I'm going to show you how it applies to our lives. I don't, I don't write the mail. I just deliver it. That's very important. And you know what that also brings? Authority. Authority. How can a pastor say, thus saith the Lord? He can say, thus saith the Lord, because God did say it. Right here in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. God said it. That's how you can have authority. And, and that's how a pastor can have boldness. A couple of you said, said to me last week, boy, you were so strong. You know, I, I wasn't really strong. God's Word is strong. I would have never have said to you non-tithers, you're robbing God and you're cursed with a curse. I would never have been that bold. But that's what God says. So boldness comes. And something else comes. You, you hit the hard issues when, when you're going through just book after book. of the, You hit the hard issues. You know, you can't say, oh, boy, he talks about election in this passage. Boy, I think I should skip over it. Oh, in this passage, he talks about women in ministry. Boy, that's controversial. I think I need to pass over it. Yeah. Oh, he talks about homosexuality. That's like the hot issue of the day. I can't talk about that one. I got that. You are forced as a pastor to deal with the issues that God has because there they are. You can't skip over them. If you're faithful, you've got to deal with them. And also, that balance comes to preaching. See, in my mind, I can think, I, I know what's best for you people. I know what you need to hear. I, I don't really know what's best for you, honestly. But God does. So, by preaching through books of the Bible, things are going to be emphasized again and again and again because God is emphasizing them again and again and again right here in His Word. And so, and so many churches are getting together with their staff and they're saying, well, what do you think are the felt needs of the congregation? What do you think they'd like to hear about this upcoming year? Let's just put together a series. Who cares what your felt needs are? What are your real needs? And God knows what your real needs are right here. And, and how can we preach the whole counsel of God? Well, by just going right through it, not just picking and choosing, just the whole thing. So we cover the gamut. This is so important. And also, it's important... Because, Lord willing, you're learning week after week how to study the Bible for yourself. So when you're home reading the Scriptures, you say, wow, this, this is what Pastor Wayne does on Sundays. Sometimes he'll just go through one verse and just ver word, you know, steward, what's a steward? God's grace, what's, what's God's grace? And just phrase by phrase. And hopefully you're learning to study your Bible appropriately. And let me tell you, that's, that's a big thing. Because Christians don't know how to, how to read. God's Word in context. What, what they know is to take a verse and put it on a plaque and say, wow, that's really nice. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to bring you hope in the future. And they say, that's what God has for me. And I said, well, 
Maybe in the context, he's talking about the Israelites and bringing them back to the land. Context. Context, context. And hopefully week after week you're, you're learning that. That's a specific uh, application of speaking the oracles of God. There is a general one as well. This doesn't just apply to the past. This applies to all Christians. In Colossians 3.16, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. That's for all Christians. You are to let the word of Christ dwell in you. So when you get together with your girlfriend and she needs counsel, you can give her counsel from God's word. We need God's word. So when our men's study gets together, when a Bible study gets together, we can speak to one another out of God's word because it's in our minds. And we're actually speaking the oracles of God, even if we're not quoting scripture verbatim. So it's very important that we use our spiritual gifts in accordance with God's word. And also, we're not only dependent on God's word, we're dependent on God's spirit. Verse 11 continues on. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God provides. Those that are part of the worship team know I pray this a lot on Sundays. Lord, may we serve in the strength that you provide. Not in our own strength. In the strength that God provides. Paul mentions it this way in Colossians 1.29. He says, For this I toil struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works in me. See the synergism here? Paul says, I work, I toil, I struggle. But I do it in the energy of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, But by the grace I am what I am, and His grace to me was not in vain, No, I worked harder than any of them. Talking about the apostles. Sounds like he's bragging. I'm the hardest working apostle. But then he says, yeah, it wasn't I, but the grace of God that was with me. He's not bragging. He's just stating a fact. He was the hardest working apostle. And he says, it's only because of God's grace. And again, what is God's grace in his life? It's the Holy Spirit's empowering him. That's why Paul was able to do what he did. Someone came to uh, Spurgeon on one occasion and just amazed by what he could accomplish. And, And it is amazing. And they said, how are you able to do the work of two men? He said, ah, but have you forgotten? We are two. It's not just us doing the work, but it's God doing the work in us. And we need to rely on God and His strength. Probably one of the reasons why some Christians don't step forward is we don't have the strength. We're afraid. Please do not let fear hold you back. Pastor John Piper tells the story of when he was in Wheaton College. And he says, I was going to take all my classes until I had to take my speech class and then then I was going to drop out of college. He said, because I was afraid to death of public speaking. And and he mentioned to a chapel group at Wheaton College when he went back years later, he said, there's probably only a handful of you in this room out of all the students who understand the kind of fear that was in my life. And he said on on one occasion, someone associated with the chapel, I don't remember who it was, asked him if he would be willing to say the opening prayer. 
And he said, to my amazement, I found myself asking, how long does it have to be? And the person said, I don't know, 60 seconds. And he said he memorized that thing cold and he got through the sweating and the nervousness. And he said after that, he resolved that he would never turn down an opportunity to speak for God because of fear. He was not going to let fear get in the way. That's going to happen. We, we need strength, which means we need to cry out to God. Lord, help me. Help me. I don't have what it takes. And specifically, when it talks about serving in the strength that God provides, specifically, when you say, well, how do we get that strength? One way is through the Word, by reading the Word. Another way is just by praying. Call upon God. And from one perspective, all of redemptive history turns on a prayer. All of redemptive history turns on a prayer. And you might be saying, well, I, I thought it turned on the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And that is true. But the question I have for you is, how was Jesus strengthened in order to go to the cross? And the answer is, the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane. The Father showed Him everything that He was going to face at the cross and He almost crumbled. He wavered. What did He pray? Lord, let this cup pass from Me. He didn't want to drink the cup. He didn't want to go to the cross. The burden was just overwhelming. So He cries out to God. Why was He crying out? For strength. Strength. How weak would you have been if you knew the cross was in front of you? He's crying out for strength. And I love Luke's account because Luke mentions that an angel from heaven strengthened him. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane three separate occasions. An angel comes and strengthens him. And after he gets up from that time of prayer, because now he's strengthened, now he's resolved, we see Jesus rising from his knees and without looking back, he heads straight to the cross and he says, let's go. And it's absolutely amazing. But where did that strength, courage and conviction come from? It came from his agonizing with the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where the victory was won. Jesus served in the strength that God provided him in the Garden of Gethsemane and then along the way. So we need to cry out, Lord, help me. Help me. I can't do this on my own. I don't want to do this on my own. And that's important. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You, you want to serve in such a way so that other people watching will say, Wow, it was great to see God working through you. You want to serve in the strength that God provides so that you can go home after serving and saying, Wow, Lord, thank you for the strength that you gave me. That, that was you. To you be the glory. I know I never would have done that without your help. Thank you for enabling me to do what I was able to do. May all the glory belong to you. You want to know the strength is from God. You don't want it to be something that anybody could do. You want God to strengthen you and empower you. And then it's fascinating that Peter closes with a doxology, which just means word of praise. 
To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This, this is just an explosion of, of gratitude. And I, I think this is what's going on here. Uh, Peter is giving all these admonitions to the church. And in verse 8, he said, Keep loving one another since love covers a multitude of sins. And then he says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then he says, Use your gifts serving one another in the strength that God provides. And I think Peter saying, If this would happen in the church, just think how strong the church would be. Think of how triumphant the church would be. Think of how the kingdom of God would spread if God would do this. And he is just caught up in the moment. So before he can go on with his message, he's got to pause for a moment and he's got to say, To God be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Because he's just awestruck by what God is doing in the church and, and what he would entrust to the church. His very grace, he's just, this is amazing. He's absolutely for it. This is wonderful. And it's as though he's writing his epistle and he says, I just got to take a moment here. Ah, oh, Lord, this is great. And then, and then when he can calm down a little bit, catch his breath, he, he goes back to verse 12 and he, he continues on. And just think how glorious it would be. Every single Christian, understanding what their gift is, using their gifts in accordance with God's Word, in dependence upon the Spirit of God, the church would, once again, shall we say, be a force to be reckoned with. We have everything we need. We really do. We have everything. We, need. we are stewards of God's grace. God's grace has been entrusted to our care. But I fear that we've put it on a shelf and, and we've left it there and we're, we're not using it. We're not growing in our gifts. And sadly, as a result, we're not experiencing the joy and the satisfaction that we would. What, what a joy to serve God in His strength and to know that God's using it even to a small degree. That's, that's what life is all about. This is our life, really, right here. So I just admonish you. Find out what that gift is. Find places to serve. Let's get busy building up the kingdom of God for His glory. Let's pray. Father, thank You for what You have entrusted to the church. Father, help us, as we're admonished here, to be good stewards of your varied grace. We cannot do this on our own. Thank you for the gifts here. Father, help us to use them. Help us to develop them. Father, bring other gifts to the church. Help us to have an impact in this community and belong because we are faithful servants. Father, may we live to hear Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.